Good evening. I want to invite your attention back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. So if you had that open for the reading earlier, we're going to go back to the book of Isaiah. I call this sermon a visit to the idol factory, or it might be called a tour of an idol factory. You'll see what this is about when we begin our reading in just a moment. Isaiah 40 I'm going to start at verse 9 in just a moment. Isaiah 40 and verse 9. We're going to be doing our work tonight in Isaiah 40, in Isaiah 44, in a brief passage in Habakkuk, and then in 1 John 5, 21 for the application. A visit to the idol factory. Isaiah 40. I'm starting now at verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers 
of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As we become acquainted with Old Testament history, and we see the direction of mankind, and we see the direction of the nation of Israel in particular, there are a variety of ways to describe the trend back in those days. We very often use the word apostasy to refer to departure from God. And we have a whole list of other words that go with that. Sin, disobedience, evil, ungodly, unrighteous, backsliding. We use those terms to describe man's departure from God. I think we can add another. Idolatry. And here in Isaiah 40, one of the most dramatic, cutting descriptions of idolatry anywhere in the Bible. The prophet was moved by the Holy Spirit to unleash a withering description of idolatry. The prophet wanted people to know the difference between their God and the idols they were manufacturing. It was a foolish way to act and live. It was a failure to recognize and appreciate the greatness of the God who made them as individuals and created the nation of Israel and made promises to them and blessed them. I'm looking at verse 9 where there is a call from the prophet to the people to recognize and say to others how great God is. And you pick up the urgency of Isaiah's tone when you read that. Stop what you're doing, find a mountain and use it for a pulpit and tell people how great God is. Don't be afraid to say, behold your God. He is the God of power. His arm rules and his reward is with him. Don't leave this out. His recompense is before him. And from verse 9, 
down through verse 11. It's all about the greatness of God. Behold, verse 10, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Something idols could not do. This is a call to appreciate the greatness of God and to speak the greatness of God. Listen to the questions. Who, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? See, who? The answer is God. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing. Emptiness. You hear the tone of this. Who compares to God? This is the great God who looks down upon the sons of men, and he discovers the sons of men are building idols out of blocks of wood and metal and stone. And you hear the tone of this all the way down through verse 17. And you get these impressions the prophet is saying to the people, don't take lightly who God is and what he's done, what he's capable of, how great he is. Nobody on earth can do what God can do. The nations that seem to be so great and mighty in your perception, they are nothing before him. In fact, they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Verse 18 is a question. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compares with him? Some of you have the NIV. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? So this is all about beholding God. Considering how great he is. Is there anything or anyone to compare with him? And of course the answer is absolutely not. Can man create something comparable representative of God, he shouldn't and he can't. Now, here's where the passage makes a transition into the subject of idolatry. It's at verse 19, an idol. That's the prophet's subject. It's all framed in the context of the greatness of God. And then you come to verse 19 and the prophet says an idol. There's the subject. The context is how beautiful and great God is. Now it is like the prophet says, Okay, folks, I've asked you to take into your mind the love and power and greatness of Almighty God. 
And what are you doing down there? You're building idols out of blocks of wood. And where did it come from, that idol? And he answers, the prophet does, a craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for it silver chains. So Isaiah is taking the people and us on a tour. We are visiting the idol factory. Craftsmen are mere human beings made by God in his image. But they're turning from the God who created them to apply their craft using gold and silver that God put on earth, using trees that God caused to grow to make an idol. And by the way, in doing all this, they were imitating their pagan neighbors. Already, when you get this far into Isaiah 40, it just doesn't make good sense. It's foolish. It's deeply disrespectful to the Creator for men to do such a thing. But as they apply their craft to manufacture an idol, what irony. They choose wood that will not rot. They seek out skilled craftsmen. You don't want just anybody assembling this thing. And at this point in verse 21, the prophet pauses to express how ridiculous this is. And from 21 to 31, he expresses how ridiculous it is by going back to where he started, the greatness of God. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, that's stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one star is missing in his list. It just doesn't make good sense. The case is being made in Isaiah 40. Men are being told in Judah, no matter what you make with your tinker toys, God is still God, the everlasting God. He is the creator, and for those who wait on him and trust in him and serve him, he will renew their strength. Isaiah isn't finished with this. The case is made here and further over into chapter 44. Let's read some of that. In chapter 44, I'm going to start at verse 9. You'll see the connection, 44, beginning at verse 9. All who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. Let's tour the factory. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. 
He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars and he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong. Among the trees of the forest, he plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. Now, I want you to notice how this section begins. It begins with a verdict. It begins with a verdict. And then the verdict is accompanied by evidence. The verdict is... All who fashion idols are nothing. The things they delight in do not profit. That means no value. The skilled craftsman, the best wood, gold and silver, planning, time, work, effort, care, no profit. No use, no value. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Those who watch these craftsmen who see the work and the results, they don't say anything. No shame in the community that observes what's going on in the idol factory. The idol is profitable for nothing. Habakkuk, one more place. Habakkuk chapter 2, 18 through 20. Habakkuk chapter 2, 18 through 20. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image? A teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The craftsmen are only human. Their helpers share the blame. But the prophet announced their doom in verse 11 of chapter 44 of Isaiah, they shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. United in sin, united in judgment. Then, if not so tragic, it would be humorous. In Isaiah 44, I'm back to 44. In Isaiah 44, when you read that section from verse 12 down through verse 20, pick it up at verse 18. They know not... 
nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself and say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? By this time God had already applied his judicial blindness on these idolaters. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes, so they cannot see in their hearts, so they cannot understand. This wasn't arbitrary on the part of God. This was God's reaction to their long-standing folly of taking trees God made to grow, gold and silver that God put in the earth, and turning those materials into something they worshipped instead of God. Who would argue God was unjust in his punishment? He was long-suffering, willing to forgive. But these idolaters persisted in their abomination. They were falling down before blocks of wood. Aside from the obvious stupidity of it, God was offended. And yet, in the next paragraph, offers redemption to those who could still see what they were doing and turn from their sin. Well, what we've studied in Isaiah and Habakkuk can be considered a literary masterpiece. A tour of an idol factory. A perfectly clear and cutting description of how far God's people went. Away from God, imitating their pagan neighbors, falling down before blocks of wood, using part of it to bake bread, part of it to warm with, and falling down before that piece of wood. What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with you? John says in 1 John 5, 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, what does the modern Bible student sometimes say about everything we've studied? Isaiah, Habakkuk, 1 John 5, 21, What's the temptation? I've never done anything like this. I don't have any thoughts to go out into the woods and cut down some wood, use part of it for fire, part of it to warm myself, and then fall down before that block of wood, or take it to a carpenter, or somebody working with metal and silver and have them fashion that into something I worship. I've never had that thought. I've never chopped down a tree for that purpose, never fashioned anything with gold and silver as an object of worship. We are tempted to be dismissive about any application when we read of idolatry. This Old Testament abomination, that's what we do, we classify it. It's an Old Testament abomination. We claim we've never made anything that we worshipped. Have you ever heard of this? A young man grows up in a godly family. 
He reaches a place where he hears, believes, and obeys the gospel as a teenager. He goes off to college or military or trade. He has been taught to commit to his profession. To have a high standard on the job. A good work ethic. He has family to take care of. He needs to make money and move up the career ladder and be responsible and be devoted to his company, his profession, his workmanship. All good. All good. But gradually and in subtle ways, it comes to pass very slowly that he's never home anymore. He's always on the road or at the office. Not only is his family gradually neglected, his involvement in the local church is reduced, and career becomes everything. And the devil can see an opening there for other stuff that's bad. See, the human heart can take something like education, a good profession, a successful career, and make that an idol. Now what happened? The man didn't get up one day and suddenly say, I'm going to depart from God, I'm going to the woods, I'm going to get a chunk of wood, I'm going to have somebody craft that into a certain fashion, and I'm going to fall down before... No, he didn't do that. But gradually he made something that he eventually fell down before, a career. He may not literally bow and pray to his career, but it's had that impact in his life and against his family and against his relationship with God. I'll tell you, that happens. Have you ever heard of this? A young woman becomes obsessed with her appearance. Not biblical modesty, but she reaches a point gradually where she's obsessed with gl glamour and sex appeal and competition with others she wants to be more beautiful than. And eventually, slowly, it becomes more important to her than God. She didn't go into the woods and chop down a tree and fall down before a block of wood. But she let something get a hold of her. Sometimes it's recreation or money. Sometimes it's a manufactured religion that demotes Christ and the authority of scriptures. Sometimes it's a person that becomes the idol. Yes, there are preachers who have carefully crafted and promoted their reputation and they may have great delivery and be in demand and even teach the truth, but in their hearts they honor what they have created more than what God gave them to deliver. Idolatry is not only possible today, I'll argue it is widespread. And I'll argue from Isaiah, it is not only foolish and destructive, it is offensive to God who made us. The incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. 
Tim Keller said, The human heart is an idle factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain them. Well, many other examples will occur to you as you apply what the Bible says about idolatry to our time and to our lives. Once we understand what idolatry is and the presence of it around us and that it may not come in the form of a block of wood, the next step is to determine and redetermine to dig deep into the Word of God, look into your heart with purpose of honoring God, obeying Christ, and never provoking the God to wrath by leaving Him for another. That's the preventive for us and for the people we have opportunity to teach and influence. Let us settle it firmly in our minds that God is real and holy and great and He is worthy of our loyalty and our priority. Nothing could have proved that more than what happened on the cross. And what happened after the cross in the resurrection and in giving to us the instruction that we've used for our purpose tonight. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's be standing as we sing.